Are you an accredited investor looking for a new opportunity to generate passive income and build the retirement of your dreams? Then elevate your investment game with Viking Capital, where wealth meets wisdom. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just starting out, Viking Capital can help guide you towards financial freedom through passive real estate investing. With strong and transparent underwriting, Viking identifies low-risk opportunities with the goal of preserving investor capital and maximizing long-term growth potential. And their accessible and responsive investor relations team will help you understand how each investment will impact your unique financial goals. With $800 million in assets acquired, more than $230 million in equity raised, and more than 5,000 units under management, Viking Capital is your path to early retirement. To learn about Viking Capital's latest investment opportunity, which is available for you right now, visit go.vikingcapllc.com forward slash best. That's go.vikingcapllc.com forward slash best to get started today. Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHerCon is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, Promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Trust, but verify. I went through problems before where I just trusted everything they said. I didn't double check anything until I was already $6,000 in debt with them. Welcome to the Best Ever Show, the world's longest running daily commercial real estate podcast. Our hosts interview commercial real estate experts every day to get you the best advice ever with none of the fluffy stuff. Best ever listeners, welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever Show. I'm Slocum Reed, and I'm here with Melanie Bedrovic. Melanie is a returning guest. She was also on episode 1351 titled From Bartender to Millionaire Real Estate Investor Entrepreneur. Her brand is the Wealthy Barmaid. She does all kinds of stuff outside of commercial real estate investing. Her portfolio does include six long-term buy and holds, two commercial properties, and an Airbnb. Melanie, can you tell us a little bit more about your background and what you're currently focused on? Sure. I started in the real estate game really young. I was 22 years old and I had saved up all that money because I started working in the bar industry really young. My parents were immigrants. They opened a bar. So I started working at 12 in the kitchen and then that progressed to busing and hostessing, waitressing, bartending. I also lived in Toronto and I bartended there for a while even while I was still bartending at my parents' place. So I saved up a lot of money early. And I was able to buy my first house 
and I just used kind of the slow method, but I saved a bunch of money, bought a house, saved a bunch of money, bought another house. It gets harder and harder to do that and get mortgages though. The more properties you get, because they don't love to see rental income on your T1 statement, they use 30% of your rental income. So it's not that helpful, but I've used, you know, other types of financing that I've had to do BTBs and things like that. Currently, as you said, I have six long-term buy and holds, which is my favorite strategy, and two commercial properties and an Airbnb, which are kind of the latest one commercial property, one Airbnb, and another about two houses since I spoke on the show last time. And I manage them. I manage them myself. The Airbnb is like, I didn't even plan on it. This is the best part about real estate. I didn't even plan on that Airbnb to become an Airbnb. I bought it because I wanted a lake house and it's right on the beach. It's right on the lake. And for some reason, it was like, oh, let's try putting this up on Airbnb. And it was the most profitable thing I've ever experienced as of yet. That one Airbnb produces $150,000 a year. It's absurd. So that was really cool to come into that and live there for a little while. But now it's a full-time Airbnb, learning how successful and profitable it can be. And my goal, I guess, where I'm at, where I'm trying to do is consistently grow my portfolio. I need a retirement plan because I've been self-employed since... I don't know. I was doing little entrepreneurial things since I was 16 years old. So I'm not going to have a pension. I'm not banking on getting a job or banking on any type of pension. They do the, what's that called? Especially in the States where you guys get 401ks and stuff like that. So I look at all these properties as cash flow, number one, but number two, they're going to help me in my golden years and trying to get as much as I can monthly and try to get it to the point that I have envisioned where I can do whatever I want, whenever I want, and travel whenever I want, and have the money. And I love going out for dinners and things like that. So that's really my goal. And then I kind of technically retired in the last, I don't know, three, four years. I don't have to work. I sold my bar business. That was last time on our show. I was still running that business at the time, but I sold the bar business. And I still own the building. So now I have a tenant, but I'm relieved because I hated the bar industry. I had way too much time running and managing my parents' place and then my own place. I did it for nine years. I did very well. I had a lot of cash flow. So it was great for buying more properties, but that is offloaded right now. And then I have a few other things because I just can't sit still. So on top of the properties and on top of managing it all myself and whatnot, I started a construction company last year. So we got that and I created and produced and I'm still running a show like a Las Vegas style show. It's called the Champagne Showgirls. I've always wanted to do something in the showbiz style area. And it's just a fantastic, very Las Vegas style, glitz and glam, whimsical kind of journey with aerial arts and all this kind of stuff. And that's been super fun. I'm really enjoying doing that. So that's kind of in a nutshell where I'm at and what what has happened since the last time Joe and I spoke on this podcast. Awesome. Melanie, you said that long-term buy and hold is your favorite strategy. 
don't tell my parents I don't have any pension or retirement plans either. I just have long-term buy and hold real estate as well, which has worked out pretty well the last few years. But I get where you're coming from there. Your two commercial properties, what kinds of properties are those? The first one is a 20,000 square foot property. The building itself is 5,000 square feet. It sits on 20,000 square feet of land. That I bought when I was 27 years old. That was in 2013. And I started my own restaurant bar in that building. It doesn't have anything upstairs, unfortunately, no other units with it. But I ran my bar out of there for nine years, like I said. And then I just sold it in 2020, which was also hugely, like I had a horseshoe up my ass, excuse my language, because COVID hit and stuff. So my tenants were in trouble, but I helped as much as I could. And I did anything I could to help get him going. And he's never paid late on rent ever. It's been two and a half years now. So that's that property in in St. Catharines, the first one that you just asked me about. And the other commercial property? The other one is even more profitable because it also sits on 30, 40,000 square feet. The building itself is 7,000 square feet. And it has a bar restaurant on the main floor and four units upstairs. So two one bedrooms and two two bedrooms. And it's just much higher rent for the main floor. And then plus I get that extra from all the upstairs tenants as well. Did you also buy that one to own or operate out of the first floor? Was it always purely rental? No, it was not vacant. The bar was there when I purchased it. And it's still there, which is amazing. But in the event that that tenant left or that I couldn't find another great tenant, I would jump in there because that thing's a gold mine. This guy's making so much money. It's unbelievable. I'm very happy because it's my tenant and obviously knows what he's doing. It's very difficult to find people who really know and understand the restaurant and bar industry. So he's going on 15, 20 years, I think, uh, running that bar. But like I said, I'm not afraid because I would jump right in there because that cash flow is absurd. <laughs> I am an apartment owner operator primarily in Cincinnati, Ohio. I also have a multi-tenant office building. I was looking for mixed use space to invest in myself. And I don't have any business that I could profitably run out of the first floor of the mixed use space that you're talking about that I can fairly well envision already. Is that the reason you felt comfortable purchasing that property, the bar restaurant on the first floor with apartments above because you knew you could fill in that retail space? To be honest, I'm not sure if that made me want to buy it even more or not. Maybe subconsciously it did. I just saw the numbers and the rent rule and it was a really good freaking deal. So I bought it and it's also in a another town closer to Toronto. Their population is absurd, yet they only have three bars, a couple of banks and a few coffee shops, yet so many people from the GTA have moved into this little town. So I can sell, for example, a plate of fish and chips there for 30 bucks, whereas over here I can only do it for $12.99. So everything's higher there. It appreciates faster. People pay good money to go to bars or to rent, even in the upstairs. So that's really why I bought it. It was the cash flow. That's interesting, Melanie. And 
this kind of sounds humorous, but I mean it seriously. I had never thought about how much you can sell a plate of fish and chips for as a metric for <laughs> rent growth and economic growth. But that makes so much sense. And it makes sense to be investing that way when you have insider insight into that industry and what you're saying about you'd absolutely pounce on that location yourself if you couldn't get it lucratively rented. That makes a lot of sense. I mentioned I'm in Cincinnati. I know the parts of Cincinnati right now where that's the case, that how much you can charge for a pretty simple dinner is going to go up in some places and not going to go up in others. Not a restaurant and retail investor, but that's a really interesting point that you make. First of all, I neglected to mention you're based in Niagara Falls. Yes. Is your entire portfolio local to you? Do you self-manage? I do. I self-manage everything. It is all fairly local within the Niagara region, not just Niagara Falls. Sure. But yeah. In our region, everything that I own is here within 55 minutes of anywhere. My Airbnb that's on the lake, that takes 50 to 55 minutes. And then the commercial properties, one takes 30 minutes. The other one takes 15 minutes to get to. And then all the other houses are Niagara Falls. So they're close. You mentioned earlier how much you love your Airbnb. $150,000 a year net, I believe is what you were saying. And it sounds like that's because you self-manage or at least the net income that you're pulling off of that has something to do with self-managing because a large chunk of that would be going to a management company. I have some experience with Airbnb. I was a super host, 100 plus five-star reviews. I decided to get out of it because of how much of a hassle the hustle was. What is it about Airbnb that appeals to you given how much more work it is by comparison to long-term rentals or to spaces like your commercial and your mixed-use properties? You're asking sort of what's the advantage or why do I do it? Yes. Why is it that you are self-managing an Airbnb alongside everything else? Well, because I guess you can call it, that's my job. I can't sit still and do nothing and just hire property managers for everything. I love to work. I love to hustle. I'm just hungry for more. And why I don't have anyone at the lake because even though it's a lot of work, it's a lot of talking to people, a lot of making sure they're following all the rules and the garbage and keeping it up to shape and making sure that I'm keeping it clean, looking amazing. And I can send you guys some photos of it if it's relevant for the show, but it's the money. I love cash flow. And another reason is houses in that area, especially on the water, it's appreciating it's unreal. It's gone up 30% every year since I bought it. When did you buy it? I bought it in 2020. It's gone up exponentially. So that's a big one. Tons of equity, tons of cash flow. And I have no problem dealing with people message me at 10 o'clock at night or 11 o'clock at night, or there's no batteries in the remote, for the TV. I get in the car and I go, you got to fix anything or deal with any problems as they go. I always try to tell people, people have rental homes, maybe Airbnbs as well, whatever, but they treat it like a hobby. And it drives me nuts because you can't treat it as a hobby or it's going to pay you like a hobby. You have to be on top of things. I know people I hear from people, even my choreographer for this show, she said, whenever anything's happening or, or there's a leak or there's whatever the case, she goes, we can't get a hold of our landlord for days. And then he's like, yeah, yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it. And it never gets done. So they do it themselves. And that's so absurd to me. 
when my tenants have an issue, someone is there within 30 to 45 minutes all the time. There's no playing around. You can't have your tenants having no heat or something. When the seasons change, a lot of the furnaces need a bit of upgrading because it's been off for so long. So yeah, I forget what the original question was. (laughs) I went off on a tangent there, but treating whatever type of real estate, multifamily, long-term buy and hold, short-term, Airbnbs, you've got to treat it like a job. And that's why I do what I do because I don't want to be bored and I want to keep going. And that Airbnb, like I said, it's the appreciation and the cash flow, total win. So I don't mind any of the work that I have to do. We'll get back to the show with the first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. Are you a real estate investor looking to break into the multifamily investing space? Have you heard of MFIN Con happening in Charlotte, North Carolina, June 12th through the 14th? The Multifamily Investor Nation Convention is a place to learn from over 60 high-level apartment investors while networking with more than 700 additional investors. If that's not enough for you, A-Rod, yep, Alex Rodriguez, 12-time Major League Baseball All-Star with over $700 million of commercial real estate assets will be live and in person speaking at the event. Also speaking is the one and only Dr. Robert Cialdini, the godfather of influence and the award-winning author. I personally love his books. So be sure to secure your tickets to this live in-person event before they're gone. Go to MFINCon.com for more details. Sponsorship opportunities are also available. Visit MFINCON.com today. Use the promo code BESTEVER to get $200 off your tickets. That's MFINCON.com. Everyone is looking for a recession-resilient investment. How can you try to prevent from losing money by picking the wrong fund and sponsor? Right now, you can get Reliant Real Estate Management's free guide, 10 Things to Consider in a Real Estate Investment Fund, by visiting besteverreliant.com. Answer questions like, is the organization's focus on you? And does the fund keep employees? Reliant Real Estate Management is ranked one of the top 20 largest self-storage operators in the country with $1 billion in self-storage assets. After completing three funds, and selling 38 properties with $0 of investor principal loss. They have an average project level IRR of 33% in just over 3.5 years. Visit besteverreliant.com right now to receive the 10 things to consider in a real estate investment fund and get access to their latest investment opportunities. That's besteverreliant.com, B-E-S-T-E-V-E-R-R-E-L-I-A-N-T.com. Melanie, before we dive into the last segment of the show, the lightning round that you're already familiar with, Melanie, there's another host of the Best Ever Podcast named Ash Patel, who has been harping on residential real estate investors for a long time, that there are higher cash flows available in real estate asset classes, including in especially mixed use, because the demand for that, there just isn't that much competition to buy buildings like your restaurant retail on the first floor and apartments above. Ash, I hope you hear this when it airs. Can you give us a point of comparison about what your returns look like between your standard long-term rental, residential rentals, your commercial and mixed-use space, and then your Airbnb? Can you give us a point of comparison for your cash flows on those three? Sure. Houses are all different rents per month but it ranges between $2,500 to $3,500 a month, plus they pay all their bills. So it's like I'm netting roughly $150,000 on the long-term buy and holds. 
but I'm netting $150,000 on one Airbnb, as we've discussed already. So that's a huge win. And then my two commercial properties, if you're looking for numbers, if that's where we're going with this, I'm netting about $60,000 on the one that does not have units above and about $100,000 on the one that does have the units above. So in comparison, yes, long-term buy and holds are not as profitable as commercial properties, especially mixed use, like you said. And I also noticed commercial property appreciates, especially here in Canada, much quicker than single family homes do. But I started in single family homes. I still love them. I get these families and wonderful tenants and I treat my tenants beautifully and they're long-term and they take care of my home and they add value to it. They don't even ask me to pay for certain things. One we just redid the roof on a shed, completely painted and made a new beautiful balcony and, um, on, at the front deck and things like that. So the best part, it's diversifying your portfolio to see I'm going to have when I'm 60, 65, whatever, I'll have 10, 20, 30, 40, whatever it's going to be long-term buy and holds everyone's always going to need a place to live. And the rental market is also gone up huge. You can barely get in anywhere right now to get in a rental. So that's like a sure thing for me, especially for retirement and, and cash flow, because there's just such high demand. You're going to always need people who are going to need to rent a home who cannot afford to buy a home who can never come up with a down payment. And that's a very realistic situation in today's day and age. I don't know how these kids now growing up are going to ever be able to afford it because our prices have just gone through the roof. So that's why I love those long-term buy and holds. But then I also love the commercial because the net cash flow is through the roof and it appreciates a lot more. The only thing, like you said, that's a bit of a downfall is that the pool of buyers on your commercial property is a lot smaller than on residential. Not only that, but they're savvy investors for the most part. You don't just get people like home buyers. They don't know what the hell's going on, really. They're just signing these papers on their mortgage. All they care about is the interest rate. And that's kind of it. Whereas when you're dealing with commercial property, for the most part, they're a lot more savvy. So you can't gouge them. You your prices can't be ridiculous and you got to show great numbers and great rent roll, all that kind of stuff. And then finally, the Airbnb for the reasons I mentioned before, incredible cash flow and incredible appreciation. It's almost doubled since I purchased it two years ago. So I hope that answered your question. It does. And I hope, Ash, especially here's the part where your residential renters are improving the property while also keeping it clean and a great place to live. Melanie, I'm going to use general numbers here. Between your long-term rentals, your commercial and mixed-use property, and your Airbnb, they're all on a net return. They're all netting about the same for you, those three categories. Is that incorrect? Well, the long-term buy and holds are netting me about $144,000. The Airbnb, $150,000. The first commercial property, $60,000, and the commercial property with tenants above is $100,000. So if you combine the two commercial properties, you are within $10,000 of $150,000 a year income out of those three segments of your portfolio. Mm -hmm. 
Rank them in order of how much of your time it takes to run them. The Airbnb is definitely top, top notch. Then I'd have to say the commercial property with the tenants upstairs. I don't love one bedroom, two bedroom apartments because for the most part, people are transitional. So they're they're getting rid of divorce or they just broke up with somebody. They need a place. They're going to school here, something like that. But I noticed they are very transitional. So you go through tenants a lot more. So that requires more tenant screenings and all that kind of stuff, signing contracts and then fixing the place up after the last person left. So there's a lot of work to be done with that. So the Airbnb takes up most of my time. The commercial property with tenants above would be next. And then my single family homes, I suppose, even though not much happens there, but the commercial property that does not have the units upstairs is the least, other than in the very beginning and me helping them out and us getting insured and liquor license transferred and all that kind of stuff we had to do. That's like the least amount of time I spend on that property. That makes a lot of sense. It's time for us to move into the lightning round. Melanie, are you ready? Okay, let's do it. What is the best ever book you recently read? Awaken the Giant Within by Tony Robbins. That's a great one. What is your best ever way to give back? I work with a lot of charities. You already know about my first best-selling book, The Wealthy Barmaid. I created another one. COVID was really good to me, by the way. During COVID, I wrote and published. I became another two-time now international best-selling author. It's called The Most Awesome Money Book Ever. It's for children and youth, teaching them everything there is about financial literacy. And I've partnered up with a lot of not-for-profits in which I not only give seminars, speeches, workshops with, but I also donated all my books to them and my online programs. I, I made it animated so that it's really cool for kids so that they don't get bored. So that is how I've been giving back. And I'm still talk to so many others. I'm already through the current partners that I have that I'm dealing with. Three million people, children and youth are reading my books and using my programs in order to- That's elevate. awesome. Yeah, it's really cool. In order to elevate the financial literacy which I think is just such a huge problem I'm extremely passionate about. So I would say that's that I'm giving back. And I plan to work with a lot more NGOs, not-for-profits, charities uh, along the way, down the line. Thus far in your real estate investing, Melanie, what is the biggest mistake you've made and the best ever lesson that resulted from it? I don't want to say that I haven't made any mistakes because I never really lost money on a deal. But what I could say there is, I suppose, my Airbnb. I purchased it using BTB with the uh, sellers. I put down a 30% deposit. It was $675,000 I got it down to because it was in the 780s, which was great. So I purchased it, BTB with them, with 30% down for one year, 4%, but interest only. So had I not done interest only and went with a bank sooner, the mortgage would have gone down about $10,000 versus staying the exact same when I went to a conventional mortgage after that. So can we call that a mistake? I don't know. It was the only way that I could get the property. I still think it's a win. Like I told you, it's appreciated so much and it cash flows extremely well. So there's my 10 grand mistake. 
Melanie, the lesson here, how would you have done it differently if you could go back and do it again? I guess I would have tried harder to get a conventional mortgage, perhaps by getting a long-term tenant in there and having that in my files and in my paperwork when I went to the bank. Or I could have perhaps used co-signers, but it was a quick deal. It happened very quickly. And I was just, all right, 4% interest only. It's mine. I got it. I was still happy and proud that I pulled that deal off. But yeah, like I said, I could have used a co-signer or or like a a long-term renter and had a lease in place. I suppose that's how you could have avoided that. Molly, what is your best ever advice? When it comes to real estate, not only knowing all the laws where you are, knowing all the things you can and cannot put in your leases, I would say my biggest, best advice would be trust, but verify. I went through problems before where I just trusted everything they said. I didn't double check anything until I was already $6,000 in debt with them. Joe and I spoke about this on the previous show that I was on. So I would say definitely trust people absolutely but verify and another one could be when people if they don't pay their rent on the first you need to be there on the second with paperwork in their mailbox immediately and unfortunately I have some tenants right now that that's happening they've been late a solid 12 times in the last year and a half but they've always luckily paid but you've got to be on the ball because you'll lose time if you send them the paperwork on the third fourth fifth sixth, whatever, you lose time there on when you could actually take them to court in the event they don't pay you. So that would be my two pieces of advice. I've seen people let it go and just like, oh, they'll pay, they'll pay. And then, you know, they end up five, six. That's never worked out for me either. Exactly. So getting out there immediately on the second of the month and verifying, doing really, really stringent screening of tenants. Last question, Melanie, where can our listeners get in touch with you? I'm on social media. My handle is The Wealthy Barmaid on Facebook and on Instagram. It's The Wealthy Barmaid. My website, thewealthybarmaid.com. YouTube, same thing, The Wealthy Barmaid. Or melaniebadjovic.com, but it's a lot easier to spell for most people, thewealthybarmaid.com. Awesome. Those links are in the show notes. Melanie, thank you. Best ever listeners, thank you as well for tuning in. If you've gained value from this episode, please do subscribe to our show. Please also leave us a five-star review and share this episode with a friend you know we can add value to through our conversation today. Thank you and have a best ever day. Thank you. You have a best ever day too.